Let's pray. Father, as we begin and as we think about how to find your will, how to please you, please help us to not only understand but to apply what we learn in the days to come. Be with us now in this room, in this next uh, hour, in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome. I like iShare. How many people is your first iShare? Whoa, okay. iShare is a blast. It's really fun. And I hope that you come next year. Next year it's going to be probably closer to Fresno, California. And I've enjoyed myself very much. The title of this session is How to Know God's Will for My Life. That's the title of the seminar, and it's also the title of this session, How to Know God's Will for My Life. I had a young person, uh, this is a, several years ago, actually quite a number of years ago, I showed up visiting a MAGABook program one day, and I showed up in the morning for breakfast, and there was a young man there, and he looked at me with big eyes like this. And he says, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. So we, he pulled me aside and he said, I want you to know that, that just this morning, I prayed that if it was God's will for me to go to such and such a college, Bill Crick would happen to show up and he'd have to be wearing a red shirt. And if he showed up wearing a red shirt, then it was God's will for me to go to a place, a certain college. And I looked down and I was wearing a red shirt. And I smiled at him. And uh, to make a long story short, he didn't wind up going to that college. How do you find God's will for your life? Other young people, this is a true story, they put the names of several colleges in a hat and prayed and pulled out which one. And you know what they pulled out? They pulled out a Bible college. And they didn't wind up going to that one either. True story. Another, another girl, she said, Lord, if I see a shooting star, then it's your will for me to go to this college. She saw a shooting star, and she didn't wind up going to the college either. How, how do you find out what God wants you to do? How do you find out what God wants you to do? Have you ever asked yourself these questions? What should my major be? What school should I attend? What career path should I take? What ministry should I undertake? Whom should I marry? Whom should I consider marrying? Whom should I consider having on the radar screen? You guys all have radar screens, right? <laughs> Young people? Shh. Don't tell anybody. Okay. Who should I even consider for the radar screen? What should I do with my summer? What car should I buy? How about what should I wear today? <laughs> or what should I eat for lunch? Or where should I sit tonight at iShare? Okay, some of these things are more important than others, right? They're good questions, but how do I know what God's will is? How am I supposed to make decisions, especially today when there are so many voices out there saying what I should or should not do? Um, I want you to know that you're not alone. Watch this. Psalm 31, verse 3, you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, leave me and guide me. The psalm writers were desperate to know God's will. You're not alone. Psalm 27, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. And by the way, a smooth path doesn't, he's not praying for an easy life. Back then, if you had a, a path with a bunch of obstacles, it would take you a long time to get somewhere. So the smooth path is, you know, let, lead me in a place that I can actually walk and get somewhere. 
Psalm 48, verse 14. This is God, our God forever. He will be our guide even to death. Here's some more. Uh, Psalm 5, 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face rather than crooked and messed up and, and cloudy and, and confusing. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Is that your desire? Yes. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Psalm 139, verses 10 and 24, your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And these are just, this is just a sampling. It's all over scripture. We want God to lead us. We want guidance. We want guidance. We want answers. Usually we want quick answers, don't we? We want quick answers. Where do most people go <clears throat> when they want answers in the world? If you're, if you're not a Christian, where do you go for answers to know which, which decision to make, where to go, what to do? Friends, Friends? who else, what else? Google. Parents, Google, okay, good. Google, <laughs> Google, where should I go to school? <laughs> Google knows everything, okay? Siri, Siri, who should I marry? Okay, anybody else? Where do, uh, where do non-Christians go? Aha, uh -huh. that's right. So astrologers, horoscopes, fortune tellers, palm readers. I had a friend who, uh, who was praying about whether or not he should go uh, as a student missionary to the South Pacific. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He went out for Chinese food, opened up his fortune cookie, and you know what it said? It said, an exciting adventure awaits you in the South Pacific. He did go as a student missionary, and he met the woman that eventually became his wife. He's now a pastor in Australia, and he's very happy. Amazing. But it wasn't on the authority of the Peking Noodle Company that made that happen. We want quick answers. We want quick answers. You know, it's interesting. People will pay good money for a good counselor, a good guidance counselor, a good personal Christian counselor, or non-Christian counselor, or a psychologist. People will pay good money. In the last few decades, that industry has exploded. People want guidance. Christian author Elizabeth Elliot observes that despite more people advancing further in education than at any time in history, with more people having advanced degrees than at any time in history, with more access to education than any time in history, we still seem less sure, less certain in making decisions than we ever have been. One study showed that the average college student changes his or her major more than three times, often much more. 80% of all college students change their major at least once. Some of you in this room are nodding your heads because you've done it. Is it really true that God sometimes intervenes in our daily lives to give us guidance? Or is that false? My, uh, I have a close family member who is not a Christian, and he, he, he scoffs at the idea of God intervening in anybody's daily life. Watch this. This is from 5T651. Moses, okay, Testimonies, Volume 5, page 651. Moses had a deep sense of the personal presence of God. God was real to him, ever present in his thoughts. Much of the faith which we see is merely nominal. The real, trusting, persevering faith is rare. Moses realized in his own experience the promise that God will be a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He wove, that is Moses, Moses wove into his experience the belief that God cared for him. He believed that God ruled in his life in particular. He, he saw and acknowledged God in every detail 
of his life. Isn't that interesting? The presence of God was sufficient to carry him through the most trying situations in which a man could be placed. Moses did not merely think of God. He saw him. God was the constant vision before him. He never lost sight of his face. This faith was to Moses no guesswork. It was a reality. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there's a really important verse. We usually go to this <clears throat> to explain the difficult passage absent from the body. If you've studied difficult Bible passages, this is that passage, absent from the body. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, however, says something related, but not exactly the same. I'd like to ask somebody from the audience to read that, um, but I'm afraid it's not going to be picked up on audio verse. I have the, I have an electronic Bible, which is very slow. You know, I'm going to get my actual, my physical Bible. I actually did bring a physical Bible. How do you like that? <laughs> physical Bible. I've got my, this, this is my, this is my Bible. I brought it for this reason. I forgot. My electronic Bible just is not fast enough. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nine. The Bible says, therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Is it your aim to please him? See, when we, when we say, I want to know the will of God, often what we're saying is, I'm having a hard time making this decision and I don't want to make a difficult decision. But if we think about it as pleasing God, then it turns the question on its head. How can I make God happy? How can I please God? How can I make him, what, de what decisions can I make to make him happy? You know, my wife and I some time ago sat on our porch swing and looked out at the view and said to each other, how can I make you happy? How can I please you? That's a good question to ask God, isn't it? How can I please you? What can I do to make you happy? I came home from a trip some time ago and I said, I haven't seen my wife in a long time. I've got to do something special. So I called ahead to my compatriot, Nelson Ernst, and he was my comrade in crime, and I had him go buy two dozen roses, and I, we planned it on, by cell phone. He hid behind a pillar, and my wife and two children were there. And right as I s said, uh, hello, honey, his hand stuck came around the, the pillar with two dozen flowers. I grabbed it, gave it to my wife, and she's like, what's going on? And the kids are like, what's Mr. Nelson doing here? <laughs> and then uh, he, he was gone. He was gone just like that. It made her very happy. It pleased her. Made her very happy. Okay, this is, this is what we want to do. When we say, I want to know God's will for my life, the question can be asked, what can I do to make God happy? What can I do to please him? The, the, uh, a modern translation says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, we make it our ambition to please him. We make it our ambition to please him. There are many in the world who are ambitious for position, ambitious for money, ambitious for possessions, or ambitious for a hot spouse, or whatever. The Bible says that our ambition should be to please God. So, um, let's, let's plunge in here. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right at the beginning, the punchline for this entire seminar, okay? For the three sessions, this next concept is the punchline. So if you leave iShare and you have warm feelings but you don't remember a lot, remember this. Remember this point, okay? 
This is the punchline for all three sessions, and we're going to refer to it, okay? <coughs> this is the one thing to remember if you forget everything else. This is the way to know God's will, okay? We talk about, I want to know God's will for my life. But before I can know God's will for my life in particular, I must erase these last three words, and I must know God's will, period, in general. Often we say, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? When we need to back up and say, what does he want in general? Does he want the salvation of the world? Yes, okay, that's obvious. But this is the kicker now. We need to back up a little more. Before I can know God's will for my life, I must know God's will. Before I can know God's will, in general, I must what? Know God. I must know God. Let me illustrate this. This is really important. So I'm going to go back to my wife here. She's sitting over here, and I'm using her as the illustration. So I wrote my wife love letters when we were going out. Okay. And she saved those, and maybe when we were engaged or something. And some time ago, she unearthed, unearthed those and read them, read them again. And you know what she said to me? She said, you know, when I got those letters from you, it was, it was sort of fuzzy. I didn't, I didn't entirely know what they meant back, back then when I wrote them. She says, now that I've been living with you for 15 years, I know just what you mean. I know just what you mean. I know what you mean when you wrote such and such. She's been listening to me talk for 15 years. <laughs> she knows what I was thinking. It's the same way with God. Exactly the same way, folks. If you listen to God in what you know to be his voice for 15 years, then when it's time to listen to God in something exceptional or extraordinary, you're already dialed in. You get it. Are you guys with me? Are you tracking with me? So when we, when, we, when we know God and spend time listening to him, what we know is his voice. When we get, the closer we get to him, the quicker, the easier it will be to know God's will in general and especially then for my own life and for my, the specific situation in my life right now. You see that progression? So before I can know God's will for my life, I have to know God's will. Before I can know God's will, I have to know God. This is the same thing that you've heard a lot, isn't it? Spend time with Jesus in the mornings. Wow. I have in the back of my Bible here, had it here for years and years. It's a quote from 6393. Do I have this on the screen? I don't know if I do. <clears throat> Let's see what my next slide is. There it is, I do. 6393. The Bible is God's voice speaking to us, just as surely as though we could hear it with our ears. If we realized this, with what awe would we open God's word, and with what earnestness we would search its precepts. The reading and contemplation of the scriptures would be regarded as an audience with the infinite one. We don't believe in verbal inspiration. We believe in thought inspiration. But this is a powerful quote. That means that if I'm trying to find out what God's will is, I can go here, okay, there's not a chapter and a verse to figure out who I should marry. I understand that. But I can go here to know God, and I can go here to know God's will. Then it's a much easier thing to know God's will for my life.
This is so important. Okay, so I have some practical steps we can look at. I gotta watch my time here. See how fast I can go. Okay, we're doing fine. I have some practical steps. Okay, I have seven steps that you can follow when you're struggling to figure out what God's will is for your life. And these are adapted from, the, from George Mueller. Steps to know God's will for your life. And one more, one caution before we proceed, and that is that out of these seven steps, please don't exalt one above another. Okay? If, uh, <clears throat> if all six steps point in one direction and one step points in another direction, you reconcile the one to the six, not the six to the one, right? It's dangerous to go off of one thing. Same thing with Bible verses, right? right? You look at all the scripture bearing on the state of the dead, and you realize that there are some verses that are hard to understand or that are unclear, like Moses came, or Samuel came up from the dead or whatever, and that one's kind of going that way, and then you've got another one that kind of seems to say this. But the body of scripture is here, so you reconcile the ones that are odd with the body of scriptures. Same concept when trying to find God's will for your life. Don't go by just one factor. You must consider all seven factors. Okay, let's proceed. Number one, and this is the hardest one. Are you ready? This is the, hard, this is, this is the one where all of us get stuck. No will of your own in the matter. Does that say no preference? No. It says no will of your own. There's a difference between preference and will. We can have preferences. No will of your own in the matter. Turn in your Bibles to John. John chapter 7. If you have phones, you can turn in your phones. That's fine too. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and we want verse 17. This is the words of Jesus. John 7, 17. He says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. There's a principle in this verse. The principle in this verse is if we want to do God's will and want to find his will for our life, then God is going to do what? Show it to us, right? It says he will know. He will know of the teaching. It's what it says. Now, the converse is also true. If I'm not really willing to do what he shows me, why would he show me? You follow? If I'm not really willing to do it, why would he show me? It's an interesting uh, story that happened in Jeremiah chapter 42. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 42, and I'll set the stage for you. As you recall, Babylon had come and taken captives, from Jerusalem, and finally the king, King Zedekiah, rebelled, and Nebuchadnezzar said, this guy is toast. And so they came and they besieged, they besieged Jerusalem, and it was, uh, it was really bad. He, the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar killed all the king's sons, wiped a bunch of people out, took away a bunch of captives, and left only a few little rebellious factions and some poor people. And Jeremiah the prophet had to be stuck with what were called the bad figs. God showed him uh, baskets of figs, and these were the rebellious, uh, idolatrous, 
leftover remnant Israelites that he had to stay with. It's a very interesting story. But in uh, chapter 42, verse 2, these guys come to Jeremiah and said to Jeremiah the prophet, 42 verse 2, Please, let our petition be acceptable to you, and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant. It says, verse 3, That the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. What a great prayer, huh? Jeremiah, just we want to do, do the right thing here. So pray and tell us what to do. And then, they, then Jeremiah said, verse 4, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. It shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I'll keep nothing back from you. Verse 5, so they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends to us by you. Verse 6, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord. That's cool. Do you see that? That's cool. That is that first step. No will of your own in the matter. They're like, look, we just... Tell us what to do. We're thinking about taking off to Egypt because we're scared of the Babylonians, but Babylon may be knocking on the door of Egypt and wipe them out soon, so we're not sure what to do, so please help us know what to do. <clears throat> Unfortunately, fast forward to chapter 43, verse 2. Jeremiah comes back after a few days and says, this is what you're supposed to do. Don't go to Egypt. Verse, chapter, uh, chapter 43, verse 2. Then all the proud men saying, said to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt, but Baruch the son of Neriah has set you against us to deliver you and us into the hand of the Chaldeans. Wait a minute. Is that what they said they were going to do? Go back to 42 verse 20. This is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is reading their hearts. Jeremiah 42 verse 20. Jeremiah says, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God saying, pray for us to the Lord. And all that, you, that the Lord our God says, so declare to us and we will do it. They said they were going to do God's will, but they actually, it wasn't in their hearts. You see that? They prayed the right prayer, but they really weren't ready to do it. No will of your own in the matter. Turn in your Bibles one more time. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Just some of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, Psalm 37. Some of you may know this by heart. I said earlier, no will of your own doesn't mean no preference of your own. We have preferences, and that's fine. When I was younger, I figured since my heart was sinful, Romans 3.23, all sin and false are the glory of God. Since I'm a, I'm a sinful man, my desires must all be sinful. So anything that I want certainly is not God's will. Is that true? That's not true. Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Look at verse 4. Okay, it says, He will give you the desires of your heart. Look at the verse. According to the verse, what is the desire of my heart when he grants it to me? Does anybody see that in verse 4? It's right there in verse 4. What is the desire of my heart in verse 4? That's what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if I delight myself in God, he's going to give me himself, isn't he? Isn't that what that says? 
So when I'm delighting myself in the Lord, my desires and his desires can be the same. And just a personal testimony, the older I get, the easier it is. Young people, it gets better. There's a lot of self-denial that God wants us to do, but it gets better. When you walk with God, when you walk with Jesus, your desires, you just want to do what's right. I don't desire sugar like I used to. I mean, I just love sugar. I loved cheap Big Macs. I loved all that stuff. I was addicted to television. I still am a TV addict. I just am a non-practicing one. Okay, but my desires change. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, no will of your own in the matter, but as we progress in the Christian life, our will and God's will become the same. Let's go on to number two. Number two, don't go simply by feeling. Now, this is hard, especially if you're a young person and you're sitting there trying to, to unravel what is me and my feelings and what's God, what's the Holy Spirit. Maybe Satan is saying something. And then I've got, like, my parents and I've got the youth pastor and what he says. And then I read something from Ellen White and I'm like, oh, man. And then you're like, maybe it's just like chemicals in my bloodstream and hormones, and I just, I can't figure it out. I can't, it's like brain surgery trying to sort out what's the Holy Spirit and what are my desires and what are my feelings and what are my fears. Have you had that experience? Don't go simply by feeling. Don't go simply by feeling. James Dobson tells the story. Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family tells the story about how he had just graduated from USC, the University of Southern California, with his doctorate degree, if I'm not mistaken. And he was driving home. He was feeling elated. He was feeling happy. He had just finished past a milestone in his life. And he remembers driving down the street and he tur turning a corner. And all at once, a, a feeling hit him. It was overwhelming and it was clear that something in the next six months, in the next six months, something would happen to his family, his wife or, or whatever. And he was, he, it was this overwhelming feeling. He didn't tell anybody about it. And you know what happened four months later? You know what happened four months later? Nothing. You know what happened six months later? Absolutely nothing. He has no, he has no explanation for that feeling, but nothing happened. Isn't that funny? It's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. Our feelings trick us. Our feelings trick us. What's, what's also um, makes it difficult or challenging is that, that our consciences, our consciences are not the Holy Spirit, but they're used by the Holy Spirit. They're used by the Holy Spirit to convict us of the way to go, or to convict us of sin, or to convict us of what's right. But often, especially as a young person, my conscience wasn't educated. Educated. Our consciences and our feelings need to be educated. When I was younger, my conscience forbade me to do things that were just fine, and allowed me to do things that were not fine. It just needed to be educated. And in that process, I learned. So, number two, don't go simply by feeling. Let's keep moving. Number three, study God's word. Again, if there is not a chapter or verse which says who you should marry, you can at least go to the word of God for communication, to listen to God's voice, to listen to God's voice. I want to keep moving because our time is going rapidly. Number four, consider providential circumstances. 
providential circumstances. Have you ever done this? Lord, there's a girl that I want to be with up there, and if it's your will, just please open up that door so that I can be up there. <laughs> the Lord opened the door. Isn't that amazing? You ever done that? You ever kicked open a door? <clears throat> it's, okay to, it's okay to push gently on doors. Don't kick them open. You'll be sorry. I remember there was a young man, and fine young man, and boy, was he interested in this girl, and this girl was a good girl. And there was a call to go to work at the Bible college where she was going to school, and he told me, the Lord is leading. And the Lord probably was. They're married now and very happily married with a couple kids. Consider providential circumstances. Make sure that you don't force them. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. This is an interesting story. Mark chapter 14. This is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, and you've probably never heard it told as a story. Mark chapter 14, verse, verse 13. We're asking the question, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know God's will for my life? Consider providential circumstances. Mark chapter 14, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13. <clears throat> Jesus sent two of his disciples. Okay, this is toward the end of his life. Okay? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. This is like stalking almost, okay? Follow him. Wherever he goes in, so they're supposed to sit there and watch the guy go into a house. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. Verse 16. So his disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the, the Passover. Did you follow that? Do you see how God set it up? It was a setup. And they, as they went, they probably came to the gate of the city, and they're just they're, they're sitting right there, and then there's a guy with a pitcher of water on his head. Whoa! So... We're supposed to follow him. So when the guy turns around and starts going back to the city, he's like, come on. So here they are following this guy with the pitcher on his head, okay? And they watch from a distance which house he goes into. Then they're supposed to go and knock and talk to that guy? No, talk to the master of the house, the guy who's in charge, the manager of the house, and say, can we please rent the room? Interesting. God sets stuff up. He sets stuff up in our lives. Have you guys had this experience? Has, have you had a divine appointment before? God sets stuff up. We must consider providential circumstances. Providential circumstances. And I have an interesting, interesting couple of slides here. I bet you've never read these Ellen White quotes that I'm about to read to you. I have an illustration here, but I don't know if I can find it. Uh, yeah, there it is. Got myself a Sacagawea dollar coin, Sacagawea dollar coin. And have you ever flipped a coin to make a decision? Yeah. Heads or tails? Tails. tails. It's heads. <laughs> you know, I don't carry coins with me. In my family, uh, I carry credit cards. And so in my family, when we have to decide which bed one of my children is going to sleep in at a hotel, we flip a, flip a credit card. And I say, okay, heads is the top of the credit card, and if it falls heads, 
then this girl gets this bet. So we flip a credit card, and whichever way it lands, that answers the problem. <laughs> so what do you guys think about that as finding God's will? Are you ready for this? Okay, this is, this is now from uh, uh, Special Testimonies, okay? Series B, uh, 17A, page 16. This is uh, in capital letters. This is not Ellen White writing. This is her son. All matters pertaining to his daily life, he decides, talking about a brother, he decides by casting lots. His method is to toss up a coin. He has made successful land deals and has been able to turn thousands of dollars into the work of God. So it must be okay, huh? The advice of his friends has no influence with him, for he is sure that he is led by the Lord. He writes the words on either side of a card and then drops it and according as, as an answer, and accepts it as an answer, the way in which the card falls, believing that in this way God indicates that he does or does not want him to do a certain thing. Is this a good idea? Ellen White now writing, Will this furnish us with experiences that will glorify God for us to decide what is his will by dropping a card or a coin and observing how it falls? No, no. But... Sister Harris says that her husband, Brother Harris, the guy that we're talking about, always prays before he tosses up his coin. Isn't that going to make it okay? Would not that make some difference? Ellen White's response, not a whit of difference. This plan leads to trusting in what the human can do. What we want is not less of the power of God, but more. Such a course is well-pleasing to the enemy of souls, for he works to control the coin. Whoa, that's what I said when I read that. Whoa. Let none belittle their experience by resorting, resorting to cheap devices for direction in important matters. So I can still flip my credit card to decide which bed to sleep in. But for important matters, the red shirt that I started with at the beginning of our, of our session, the, the, uh, the red shirt, the, uh, the, those random haphazard methods of pulling... Uh, something out of the hat, that is, that is not God's main plan. Matthew 12, verse 39 says, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But, you say, what about Gideon? Don't raise your hands. Have you guys asked the Lord for a fleece? Most people probably have. I have. You know, God is very merciful to us. He's very merciful to us. He often meets us where we're at. Have you had that experience? Gideon asking for a fleece was not God's plan A. But God did it anyway. He should have had the faith. I mean, the guy had an angel show up in his backyard and say, this is what you need to do. If you had an angel show up and taught, tell you what you needed to do, you'd want to do it, wouldn't you? Or so you think, so we think. It was just his lack of faith that urged him to put out a fleece. So signs are not God's plan A, but he's merciful, and he gives them to us sometimes anyway. Number five, counsel with godly others. This is very important. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. I'm running out of time. Isaiah chapter 30. We need to keep moving here, but this is an important verse. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. Some of you who know the Bible know this verse. But I'd like us to look carefully at it. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Verse 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Look at the context. Bible students, look at the context of verse 21. 
What is that voice? Verse 20 tells us what that voice is. What's the context of verse 21? Your teachers, that's right, Becky. So when we, when we read verse 21, we've got to realize it's talking about the counsel of godly others. It's talking about godly mentors, godly teachers. Do you guys have a godly mentor in your life? Do you have a teacher that you can talk to to give you counsel? Don't go to ungodly others. Go to godly others, people who walk with God. Your ears will hear that voice behind you. Uh, in my experience, if a young person suspects that I will not be in favor of their plan, they often don't consult me. I had a young man come to me a few years ago saying, what do you think about me and her? And I said, you know, <clears throat> I really don't think that she's going to make you happy, and here's why. He thanked me. He was very polite. Didn't talk to me again for 12 months. <laughs> and if you suspect that someone is in favor, he went and found other, other counselors that were in favor. Okay, the counsel with godly others. Very important. Okay, let's go to number six. Ask God in prayer to reveal his will. When we have a big decision to make or a big problem, we go and tell it to a friend, don't we? And we probably tell that friend the details. I'm talking especially to girls. Guys do this too, but especially girls. Don't you talk stuff out to your friends? Yeah. Do that with God. Tell him the details. That's what Hezekiah did. When Hezekiah got that threatening letter from Sennacherib in Isaiah, you remember the story? He took it to the temple. He walked the thing into the temple and spread it out before the Lord and told the Lord all about it. Tell the Lord the details. Tell, talk to him. Tell him what's up. It's not that he doesn't know, but that's a part of the process. Spread it out before the Lord. Tell the Lord all about it. Number seven, this is the last one. Make a decision and proceed. Anybody here ever driven a car without power steering? Can I see your hands? The older people in the room? Okay. If you've driven a car without power steering, have you ever tried to, nice job, guys. Have you ever tried to turn the wheel while you're not moving? It's very difficult. You, uh, uh, but all you have to do is be moving about one mile an hour, and that wheel turns quickly. Same concept. If you can't make a decision, make a decision and proceed, and God is able often to, to turn you the right way after you start moving. Let me just tell you this. Okay, this is from 3T497. Testimonies, volume 3, page 497. Sometimes various ways are about evenly balanced in the mind. The slightest inclination of the weight in the balance should be seen and should de determine the matter at once. Long delays, what? Tire the angels. Do angels get tired? Isn't that interesting? It is even more excusable to make a wrong decision. Oh, dear. Now, those of us who are worried and melancholy in the room can hardly swallow this one. But it says, this is what it says. I'm reading the inspired writings. It, it's more excusable to make a wrong decision sometimes than to be continually in a wavering position, to be hesitating, sometimes inclined in one direction than in another. More perplexity and wretchedness result from thus hesitating and doubting than from sometimes moving too hastily. Let me just end here by saying that God really wants to lead us. God really wants to lead us. This is what he says, Psalm 25, verse 9. The humble... He teaches his way. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. God wants to lead us, and he promises to do that. But, you say, I've done those seven steps, and I still am confused. The decision I have to make is a very difficult one. It's really hard. What do I do? 
Come back for the next session. Oh, we're out of time. I have four steps for what to do for a very difficult decision. But we're out of time. So we're going to end now, and I'm going to pray. And we're going to take a 10-minute break, and we're going to stretch and jump up and down because we just ate lunch. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that you've promised to guide us. Thank you for promising to lead us. And Lord, most of all, we want to know you so that we can know what pleases you, so that we can know what pleases you for our own lives specifically. Please give each of us that. Everybody here in this room, please give them that close walk with you so that they can know what makes you happy, so they can know when you're pleased with them and their course and their decisions. We love you, Lord. It is our aim, our ambition to please you. Help us to know how to do that. So be our teacher, we ask in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.